Sum 107, if you care to know, without sounding like a broken record, <laughs> is uh, week 171, month 39, hour 117. O oh Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name for your blessing this morning in the UK or wherever you are in the world to bless this recording, to bless this message, to bless this study. Uh, please allow us to clear our minds for a few seconds and uh, just count our blessings over the last seven days. We give you thanks, Lord, for putting our names into the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, never to be removed. We thank you, Father God, for allowing us to call you, Father God. And we thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to approach thy throne through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you, as always, to bless this recording, to bless this study, to allow it to speak to people's minds, and uh, for those that are saved, to comfort them. And uh, those that are not saved, to put the fear of God into them. We thank you as always, Lord, for being with us over the last, well, let's see now, uh, 39 months. And uh, for me, the last 21 years. And I pray in Jesus' name, you'll bless this recording. And uh, give us all a great study this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. So, Psalm 107, we have no author for this particular psalm. But again, like I've said many times over the last three plus years, it makes no difference. The word of God is uh, pure and uh, cannot be broken. And holy men of God spake as they were moved by the holy God. And no uh, prophecy is of any private interpretation. So let's get busy breaking down Psalm 107, 43 verses. So at least a two Sunday study. And uh, let's see what almighty God will show us as we approach this psalm and then of course later at the Lord's table. Psalm 107, as always I start at the very beginning. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, for the righteous absolutely, for the unrighteous not necessarily so. Now, we get into common grace. Matthew chapter 5 speaks about uh, the Lord providing food, water, clothing, shelter, for the righteous and the unrighteous and it's not always doom and gloom for the lost but of course their ultimate abode will be just that but many times the Lord will step into uh, time and take care of the unrighteous and show a level of grace which is just remarkable and of course grace God's righteousness at Christ's expense something which we don't deserve and yet without which we'd all be sunk give thanks unto the Lord amen for he is good, only God is good. This goes back to why callest thou me good? There isn't any good but God. That's always a, a favourite scripture for the heretics to quote and somehow suggest that Jesus wasn't good when of course he was good or that somehow he wasn't God when he was and is God. Again, that's a very poor argument when you get into apologetics. O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Perfect 24-7 uh, in every possible way for his mercy endureth forever so a million years from now 10 million years from now a billion years from now the redeemed will be praising the Lord was it a wonderful thought or put it this way the latest uh, sound bite going back maybe the last three or four five decades is that uh, nobody uh, goes to hell everybody goes to heaven but uh, could you imagine if uh, that was really the, uh, really the case? 
how ridiculous that would actually be. I mean, imagine the Lord looking into hell right now and he sees, I don't know, uh, Pharaoh, Herod, one, two, and three, three Herods, of course, uh, or Balaam, Barak, some of the you know not so good people in scripture, and reaching into hell and grabbing those guys out of hell and putting them into heaven. They'd be besides themselves. I mean, how would you... How would you expect an unrighteous man or an unregenerate woman to go from burning in hell forever for their sins, hating God, cussing God, cursing God, to then being taken out to that environment, put into heaven to worship him? I mean, it's just a joke, isn't it? It wouldn't work. And that's what they believe, a lot of these people. And the Catholic Church is terrible for this. They say when the Pope used to wear his triple tiara, uh, that he was Lord of heaven, hell, uh, and of course purgatory. He has three domains apparently three dominions and of course the belief was up until 1965 66 that if he willed it the souls could be released from purgatory which was ridiculous of course yes. and uh, Paul the sixth of course yeah. was the last pope to wear that silly hat yeah. but the thing is the belief is amongst most religious people that hell isn't actually real or if it is it's not uh, forever which of course it is and if such a place exists after the period of purification, which is what purgatory means, the Lord will just uh, reach into such a place, take them out and put them into heaven. They won't fit in. It will not work. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gather them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Let's open this up. Go to Galatians chapter 3. And then go to, uh, let's see now. Uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Galatians three thirteen. Christ hath redeemed us. From the curse of the law, be made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, a cursed death. So Christ has redeemed us, number one, and go to First Peter chapter one, and on top of uh, redeeming us, First Peter chapter one, it gets better than that. Uh, the better is yet to come, as they say. 1 Peter 1, uh, 18. For as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. That's the, uh, the richest of all the commodities, of course. That's what wars are fought over, along with oil and uh, money, of course. From your vain conversation, your conduct, your, uh, your speech, received by tradition. That's what damns a Catholic church from your fathers, but in the context, uh, unbelieving Jews, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spots, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So we are redeemed, and Christ is our Redeemer. And I'll give you one more. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. And uh, look at uh, 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness 
and sanctification, and here we go, and redemption. That according, as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Go back to Psalm 107. So this past week, I was on the streets, spoke to a Jehovah's Witness for 15 minutes, uh, and uh, he had his son with him, and uh, once him and I got into it, the son sort of backed up against the wall, started playing with his phone. I thought he looked so bored. He's about 14, 15, wearing a suit and tie. And uh, his father, I will say to this man's credit, stood his ground and uh, dug his heels in. But I said, you know what, my friend? I said, you're very self-righteous. He said to me, I want to make Jehovah's name known. And uh, I don't really care whether or not I'm saved and this and that. I said, you're very uh, flippant. On top of that, you can know that you are saved. And I said, all of your good works are an abomination to the Lord. And he said, well, we have wonderful family units, this and that. I said, listen, the Mormons have a wonderful family unit. Every Monday at the local steakhouse, it's family night. The Jews, I mean the religious Jews, <coughs> get together and they keep the uh, Shabbat, Sabbath, and uh, the Catholics, not up until quite recently, not so much now, but up until recently, we're very strong on families, you know, very pro the family. I said, that doesn't prove you're saved whatsoever. You may be a wonderful guy. I don't. You, you may not drink. You may not smoke. You know, you may not do this or that, but you're still unrighteous. And I said to him, tell me this. I said, uh, why aren't you born again? And you were commanded to be born again, John chapter 3. And he kept sidestepping the issue. And I started to put more pressure on him, not in an aggressive way, but in a loving way. And he said to me, don't judge me. I said, I'm allowed to judge you. Uh, John chapter 7, that's the second commandment you've broken since this conversation has begun. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Are you redeemed? This guy couldn't say that he was. In fact, if you're not redeemed, and he doesn't think he is, why are you on the streets? What message are you giving to unbelievers? You can't sing Amazing Grace because you're not redeemed, are you? You don't know if you're even saved. <coughs> Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now, in the context, this is dealing with practical salvation. The aggressor. Going back to, it could be someone like Nimrod, Pharaoh, uh, uh, Sennacherib, so many different people in scripture, uh, Nebuchadnezzar as well, and all those colourful characters, they're all uh, enemies of Israel, enemies of the righteous, New Testament, Herod the Great, nothing great about him. That term, the great, is in a sense of grave, serious, sombre, like the Great War, not in the sense of a good war, but a terrible war. And his son, Archelaus, wasn't much better. And he got one more, uh, Herod, or one more in the line of the Herods, later in the book of Acts, the old devil possessed. Gathered them out of the lands, verse 3, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Go to Deuteronomy 28. So the book of Psalms, number one, was penned about a thousand years before Christ. And therefore it's looking back, it's looking forward. And if you're not careful, you'll get uh, a little confused as to where you are at. Uh, the book of Daniel, which we started last week, I hope to do chapter 2 this week, uh, jumps back and forth. That will also cause you confusion if you're not uh, careful. Revelation gives you four accounts of the second coming, and they overlap, of course, as does Daniel. And uh, Again, if you've been reading the scriptures for maybe five or six years, this shouldn't be a big issue for you. But if you are a new Christian or you're dealing with atheists or skeptics, 
uh, they like to throw these these things at weak Christians to see if they can uh, defend their beliefs. And that's why we do a lot of apologetical work and verse-by-verse studies to uh, reinforce new and current or new and older believers who may not be experienced at taking a stand for the Lord. So Deuteronomy 28, this is a terrifying chapter. It's Jehovah speaking to the Jews via Moses, of course, and uh, it's heavy stuff because, of course, the Lord is no respecter of persons and uh, he whipped Moses, he whipped uh, Miriam, he whipped Aaron, and Aaron is called a saint of the Lord, but isn't found in Hebrews chapter 11. Moses is, of course, found in Hebrews 11, whereas Miriam is found nowhere. Doesn't mean she wasn't saved, but it uh, does suggest to me that her, her state in glory isn't so wonderful. Let's get started. Deuteronomy 28:63, And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord rejoiced over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other, even unto the other, north, south, east, west, the four corners of the earth. And there thou shalt serve other gods, and they did, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. Degeneration uh, starts with a very high level of knowledge of God Almighty walking with Him, close fellowship. It starts to deteriorate. The next thing you know, you are a pagan. You are part of Mother Nature and you're worshipping wood and stone. That's really a pitiful fall (coughs) when it comes to the Jews. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even. And at, and at even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear. And for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see. And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again. With ships by the way whereof I spake unto thee. Thou shalt see it no more again. And there ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. Go back to Psalm 107. That's a pretty bleak picture of the Jews going into captivity. First of all, Egypt. Later on, uh, during the days of Nebuchadnezzar. Also partly pictured in the book of Revelation. uh, When, of course, they flee into Sela Petra. And after a while, the Lord calls them back into the land. It starts around 1917, 18, the Balfour Declaration. That gets the ball rolling. And of course, they start to regroup, repopulate, rebuild. A picture of Ezra and Nehemiah. And 1946, 47, 48, you've got around 2 or 3 million Jews back in Israel. The city of David, Jerusalem, of course. And that's a great miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a great miracle, no doubt about it. The nation was born in a day, and all the world powers are having to grapple, trying to catch up with this monumental uh, picture of prophecy being fulfilled. The US votes to recognize Israel as a sovereign state. So too does Russia. 
the UK abstains. And due to that weak, pathetic, uh, impotent decision, Britain starts to decline as a world power. The US and Russia are almost equal for maybe three or four decades, militarily speaking, of course. And, of course, the Russians voted for Israel because, of course, they were communist, socialist, atheist, as was the Israeli leaders that went into the land, all communists trained in Moscow. The U.S. voted to recognize Israel as a buffer uh, between uh, Israel and the Middle East. We call this geopolitics. But 101, 100, excuse me, 107 verses 1, 2, and 3, a clear picture that the righteous should praise the Lord, number one, and how he's gathered them all out of the, out of the uh, four corners of the earth, which you also find in the Gospels when Jesus says, they come from the east to west, north and the south, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And your children, your children shall be cast into outer darkness. <clears throat> Not in reference to uh, backslidden Christians, which is what some people believe, but in reference to unbelieving Jews. Again, you've got to get the context right, otherwise you become a heretic. Four. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way, isolated way. They found no city to dwell in. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. The wandering Jew, spoken of in the book of Jude. And this past week I released the book of Jude, my first bilingual study Bible or study book, English and Spanish. And uh, the wandering Jew has been wandering for a long time. And uh, nobody loves him, nobody likes him. Uh, the Jew is despised, first of all by his own people, and secondly uh, by the Gentile, because the Christian is even more despised. Hebrews eleven sixteen. But now they desire a better country, that is in heavenly, heavenly country, where God is not ashamed to be called their God. And praise God for that, he's not ashamed. For he hath prepared for them a city. Go to chapter 12, a city, 12.22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Mount Zion, city, city, city of the living God. Go to 13, verse 13.14. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Go to Revelation 21. I saw a very interesting interview a couple of days ago. Uh, Roseanne Barr, an American comedian. And I had no idea she was Ukrainian by birth. Very interesting to listen to her talk about Ukraine at the moment. And like Patrick and myself, she's very suspicious of the current regime in Kiev mm. or how do they pronounce it now Kev it's not Kiev is it they pronounce it differently yeah. is it Kev it's not yeah, it's not Kiev, even spe yeah. it's not spelled like Kiev they spell it differently yeah. it's pronounced differently but she made an interesting comment she said uh, she's a Jew which I wasn't aware of a conservative Jew and she said there's been a civil war in the Jewish community going back many decades which I kind of knew anyway and because she's a conservative Jew the liberal Jews are always attacking her, Marxist Jews. And that's one of the reasons why you have to be very careful when you look at the jury. Don't be a fool. Don't close your eyes and say the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers are all good boys, when of course they're not. Don't be a fool to say or to believe such a thing. If they're wrong, call them out. That's what the scripture says. You've got First and Second Kings. 
you've got First uh, and Second Samuel, you've got the book of Judges, you've got righteous Jews calling out the unrighteous Jews. The Old Testament is full of those accounts, so don't be a coward and sit in your hands and say, we can't, we can't criticize the Jews. Yes, you can, you must do. If they are doing sinful things, call them out. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be scared of upsetting the Jews. Do it righteously, but of course, don't become an anti-Semite, but of course not. Uh, but the New Testament also has a lot of scripture where they go after the Jews. Paul told you that the Jews killed Jesus. Book of First uh, Thessalonians and Book of Acts. Uh, Stephen says that they are stiff-necked people, quoting Moses, of course. So don't sit on the fence. You know, something's wrong, call it out. Revelation 21, 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, like a gift for her husband. It's coming from heaven, not from the earth. 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. 14. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Go back to Psalm 107. So the Jews have a city coming, as do we. And of course, be careful how you rightly divide the word of truth, because of course, the Jews, the Lord's covenant people, always have been, always will be. And they're looking for a city to come, as are we. And uh, the mistake is made by the hyper, the hyper, yeah, the hyper Calvinists, but also the hyper dispensationalists, that New Jerusalem is for Israel, when of course it is not. It's for the church. Psalm 107, verse 5. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them, internally, externally. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them, mostly down to uh, sin, uh, which you'll find also later in this particular psalm, like verse 17. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. That's a reoccurring message in scripture that when the Jew gets into trouble, and starts to pray to Jehovah. He will answer their prayers. That's found very clearly back in the book of Judges. Uh, Samson was carnal. From day one right up until his death. And he was governor of Israel for 20 years. And uh, unfortunately he dies a very sad death. As does King Saul. And yet these two sons of Israel. When they got into a jam. Uh, especially Samson. Uh, prayed to the Lord and their prayers were answered Saul not so much unfortunately for him the Lord cut him off uh, because of course he was a king he had greater lights whereas Samson was only a prophet cried unto the Lord in their trouble verse 6 delivered them out of their distresses in the plural so same to the Jews as a people and a few individuals that are also in the, in the picture here which I'll show you in a few moments 7 and led them by the right way the straight and narrow, the right path, that they might go to a city, a city of habitation, the city of David. It all, it all, it all goes back to uh, the land. It all, it all goes back to who owns what. It all goes back to who's running the show, basically. Now, in, in Israel today, uh, Jerusalem is split into three, three parts, I believe. You have the Jewish quarter, the Christendom quarter, and the Muslim quarter. 
and uh, the police in Jerusalem by and large a pretty good job not always uh, sometimes they show their bias towards Christians uh, in uh, Jerusalem I saw a video clip this morning online a Catholic abbot was going up to uh, Jerusalem I forget where it was and he had a pretty modest cross around his neck and again I wouldn't wear a cross because of course Christ's Christ has paid the price for us you should pick up your own cross not put it around your neck but nevertheless this Catholic abbot from Germany was wearing a cross around his neck and it's pretty modest to look at it wasn't like a massive four five six foot cross tiny little cross around his neck and she said to him you can't wear that it's offensive and it might upset people which is quite a, it's kind of surprising to hear us say that really this, this uh, Jewish uh, police officer and a bit of a standoff took place and the abbot to his credit took a stand he said well this is part of my my uh, my clothing my attire which of course it is he's an abbot and as part of my religion which for him it certainly would be whereas for Patrick and myself former Catholics uh, the cross as something to wear doesn't feel right I mean Christ died a, Christ died a cursed death on a cross which I just showed you from Galatians chapter 3 but for the Catholics they're very visual they're very touchy-touchy they're very carnal yeah. I mean if I said to a Catholic just come into my property now uh, take a seat with Patrick we got no altar we've got a table uh, we got no wafer we got a bit of bread we got no wine we got a bit of juice they turn they would turn their noses up at it it wouldn't be enough for them because for them they want to be part of something more ostentatious and this Catholic priest wouldn't back down to his credit he wouldn't back down he's got a right to believe what he wants to believe and then the video cut out I thought I wonder what happened did she back down or did he back down uh, but here the Jew is in trouble and he's praying for help and the Lord delivers them verse 6 and then 7 again and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation so for many many years the Jews had no uh, temple first and foremost no tabernacle before that and of course David prays and the Lord allows David to start the building of the temple which really takes place under Solomon's watch not David's and the Lord says you know I don't dwell in, in tabernacles or in temples made with hands don't limit me don't con uh, don't contain me or don't box me in you know I'm all I'm, I'm everywhere at the same time all powerful don't put me into a box or for the Catholics don't put me into a chalice to drink or into you know a wafer to eat that's kind of you know it's not how it should be that's sacrilegious of course but of course what would you expect from the Catholic Church they've been brainwashed for such a long time now like this Jehovah's Witness that I spoke to a few days ago I mean just brainwashed he kept talking I said calm down I said you're talking like a woman let me get a, let me get a word in this it's not this isn't a monologue and I put him straight on a few points but his son looked so bored I, th I felt sorry for that boy he must go to school every Monday morning and his friends must say to him do you have a good weekend <laughs> oh yeah we were in church for 15 hours over the weekend and they're reading from the New World Translation and uh, you know, I have to wear a suit and tie at the weekend like kids love to do and uh, I just despise it because he can't say that because he's part of that system but uh, yeah like I said the Jews are a blessed people but they're also very sad people uh, due to the rejection of the prophets and the apostles and the uh, our high priest the chief of the apostles but look at verse 8 now it changes oh that men would praise the Lord for his goodness 
and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I love that. Go back to the Old Testament again. What am I saying? Go back to First Kings again. Uh, sometimes I get so engrafted into the uh, to these studies, I forget <laughs> forget where I'm at. Uh, what did I say? First uh, First Kings. I said First Kings. Uh, let's see now. First Kings. First Kings eight. You got Solomon on his knees. Always a good thing for a man to be on his knees. I mean, a real man on on your knees. Uh, I forget who said this. Famous preacher. He said when he was a young man, he saw his father on his knees praying, and that was one of the first memories he had of his father growing up. Maybe in Ravenhill, somewhere like that, and that really stuck with him. He was about maybe eight or nine, and his father was praying. Of course, that's a good thing for a child to see his father praying, a boy to see his father praying. Unfortunately, most men are too embarrassed to do that. But uh, a young boy who sees that, it'll always stay with him. So Solomon is on his knees praying in all of his in, in the presence of all of Israel, and unfortunately, Solomon uh, starts good, ends bad, but possibly was saved based on the Book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, also got into discussion with the uh, with once saved always saved with the Jehovah's Witness. I put the question to him, was David saved or not? Was Saul, Solomon, saved or not? You see, you get into the whole issue of, well, does he look like he's saved? Or is his work, does his works show that he's saved? You can't judge a person's salvation by, by their works. I and mean, come on. If you lived during the days of David, I've said this before, I'll say it very briefly. <clears throat> and you were aware of all of his antics, going back to Bathsheba, uh, going back to... Uh, the death of many priests, 1 Samuel. The wipe out the massacre of a village back in 1 Samuel. <clears throat> Excuse me. You would have thought to yourself, what a wicked son of Belial. What a son of Satan. You would have thought that, wouldn't you? I mean, most people would say that. He's got someone else's wife. He's got three other women on the side. He's got concubines, concubines tucked away and he had in his palace. He's a lousy father. He can't deal with Absalom. Uh... Adonijah is uh, getting ready to replace him and uh, Amon has raped his half-sister. I mean, what a terrible man. That would have been the thoughts. That would have been the response of most self-righteous people living in Israel around that time. And uh, he's going to go to hell, right, forever? No. He's saved. But you wouldn't have thought that. And nor would you have known that by being a nosy parker and looking at this guy's family affair his relationship outside of the uh, the kingdom. So be very wise and be very careful not to judge people's salvation based on how they live. That doesn't tell you anything. Going back to the Jehovah's Witness bragging about their family units. Big deal. The Mormons meet every Monday night, like I say, and it's a big deal for them. But so what? That's humanism. That's not Bible. 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8, 65. And at that time, Solomon held a feast. And all Israel with him a great congregation from the entering in of Hamath under the river of Egypt before the Lord our God. Seven days and seven days, even 14 days, a 14 day feast of thanksgiving. On the eighth day he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went unto the tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness. There's our word goodness that the Lord had done for David his servant who's now dead. And for Israel, his people, who were obviously still alive. Go back to uh, Psalm 107. 
Uh, 8 again. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. The righteous and the unrighteous. Going back to Matthew chapter 5. The sun rises on the just and on the unjust. Thank him. Some of you lost people. Give him thanks. He's blessed. He's got you out of difficult situations. As of right now, there's a wildfire, wildfire gripping the island of Greece or the country of Greece. I think it's Rhodes, a part of Greece. And the temperatures are nearly 50 degrees. There's 30,000 Brits trapped on that island. 30,000 Brits. A lot of people. Yeah. And they're calling back to, back home for help. And uh, I said to Patrick before the service began, if the Greek government, if Athens, uh, call on London for help, they'll send probably three or four RAF planes. You know they will. Yeah. And a couple of warships. You know they will. Mm-hmm. And they'll go to the island of Rhodes, where Paul went, Book of Acts, of course. And they get them out. And that'll be a picture of grace, won't it? And they're calling on, they're calling on, they're calling for help. And just takes one phone call from London to Athens or vice versa, and the wheels are set in motion. It's a picture of grace, not warranted. And most of those people in roads are probably lost, but they're in trouble. And when they're in trouble, or when you are in trouble, what do you do? You, you call for help, don't you? You don't say, "I'm a tough old bird. I'll do, I'll deal with this myself." Of course, you won't. The most self-righteous uh, Pharisee or most self-righteous atheist, if he's got a wife or he's got a, or they've got a, if they've got a wife or whatever his spouse is or whoever he or she is, they've got children, they want help, right? And they start praying and they do pray. Atheists do pray, and that's why you're told to uh, praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men, not just the Jews, the Gentiles as well. Many accounts back in the Old Testament. When the Lord took care of the Gentiles. Rahab. Just one example. And so many other people. And uh, it's not just for the Jews. But most, but most of the time. This of course is in reference to the Jews. That scripture from verse 8. To be cross referenced back to 1 Kings uh, 8. Like uh, 1 Kings. Uh, 1 Kings. Yeah 1 Kings 8. A good pitch of the king of Israel. Praying and worshipping. On behalf of the people of Israel. And thanking the Lord for his wonderful works, his goodness. Amen, amen, amen. Nine. For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with with uh, goodness. Go to Matthew 5. The famous Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5. And the more you thank the Lord, the better you feel about yourself. And uh, some of your depressions will lift. And you won't feel so down in the dumps. Satisfieth the, lo- uh, satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Matthew 5, great cross-reference for this. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Nothing physical, but spiritual here. But they shall be filled in a spiritual sense. Go back to Psalm 107. So you are hungry, and you're thirsty for righteousness. You want to be free from sin. You want to be free from this, free from that. You want to be on fire for the Lord. You're sick and tired of being lukewarm. You're sick and you're sick and tired of going back to the vomit, or whatever it might be that you are you know, dealing with, and you want to be set free uh, from uh, what you are going through on a regular basis, and that will be answered when uh, you are finally glorified. But between now and then, it's going to be an ongoing fight. If he satisfieth the long, uh, if he satisfieth the loving, excuse me, if he satisfieth the longing soul, the soul that longs to be uh, filled 
and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Matthew 5, a great cross-reference, like I say, 10. Such as sit in darkness and in that shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Keep your hand and go back to the 23rd Psalm, the most famous of all the Psalms. Gets read by Catholics, Protestants, Jews, of course. And uh, Psalm 23, like verse 4. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death. In reference to imminent death, but also in reference to daily destruction. Daily uh, problems, uh, trials and tribulations. I will fear no evil. Live us from evil. For thou art with me, I never leave you nor forsake thee. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's a picture of a father with his belt whipping his child. And Hebrew says, if you are a son, uh, you are whipped. And the Lord also says, uh, every son whom he, whom he receiveth, every son whom he receiveth, he chastens. Whether you're in fellowship with him or not, you're going to get a whipping. Because, of course, he's holy, you are not. Go back to Psalm 107. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Now, the context is down to uh, a Jew in captivity, going back to uh, the days of Pharaoh. But it's in the present, con it's in the, present uh, the tense is in the present, present tense. Such as sit in darkness. It's not past or present, it's, it's uh, present tense. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Why is this? Because they rebelled against the words of God. And contempt, we say uh, contempt, contempt the counts of the Most High. Therefore he, brought them, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. So these are rebels, verse 11. And what sort of rebels do we have today? Well, we have women pastors. That's the first category. We have homosexual clergy as a second. And we have ecumenical churches. Three types of rebels. Therefore they therefore he brought down their heart with labour, verse twelve. They fell down and there was none to help. Go to Galatians uh, six. It's Galatians six. The uh, the term that is used by the uh, I think it's Galatians, the term they use in the world is uh, what goes around, comes around. That's a uh, a mantra to do with I think Buddhism, and uh, I've got a quick text here. I think it's Galatians, but in I think it's Galatians chapter six, uh, the scripture says in verse. Uh, let me see now. Galatians. Yeah, 6, 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Communication. Communicate. Conduct. Character. What you say and what you do. Be not deceived, and yet many are. God is not mocked. Absolutely not. For whatsoever a man soweth, saved or unsaved, that shall he also reap. Go back to Psalm 107. And uh, let's also open up this verse a bit more. Shadow of death. Yea, though I, yea, though I pass, or yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death. 
I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's a wonderful passage. It does help people when things are really bad. Uh, but again, Psalm 107, 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God. They kicked against God Almighty. You reap what you sow. And contemned the counsel of the Most High, just thumbed the noses at him, basically. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor, hard labor. Going back to the Exodus, days of Moses, uh, through to Nebuchadnezzar, into the New Testament. They fell down, and there was none to help. You reap what you sow, and that's a pretty damning picture of what's going on uh, with religious people today. 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Again, it's grace, isn't it? It's not warranted, but it's uh, nice to read about. Go to Second uh, Chronicles. So I think what will probably happen is, in Rhodes, the fires will either die down, and the firefighters will get a hold of it, get it, you know, get, it, get, it uh, get it under control. But if not, then of course London will step in and get those 30,000 Brits either off the island, back to the UK, or move them to another part of Greece. It's a picture of grace, isn't it? No doubt about it. And there'll be many stories in the papers in the days and weeks ahead about, you know, such and such happened, and we thought we were going to die, and this and that took place. We were planning for the worst, hoping for the best. And they'll be thanking the Lord, many of these people, that God stepped in and dealt with their requests. Second Chronicles 33, we've got an account here of Manasseh, a wicked king. And if it wasn't for this passage, you would have thought he's burning in hell right now. But again, it goes back to people like my JW friend this past week, very self-righteous, pious Pharisee, uh, sort of looking down his nose as that born-again Christians, Bible believers such as myself, looking at people's uh, state, if you will, as to whether or not they're saved. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thing to do. And uh, within five minutes, he's told me he's refused. He has rejected the counsel of the Lord, which we just looked at first in, uh, what am I saying, first in Psalm 107. And also he wouldn't be born again and he wouldn't judge other people. And of course he will judge people. He's just, he's just making out that he doesn't judge people. And uh, two commandments are broken within five minutes of conversation with him, communicating with him. Second Chronicles 33 uh, 11. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon, a contemporary, of course, of Daniel and Co. Fetters, we say uh, he was chained up. Maybe blindfolded, but he's chained up. You think of the prisons in the US, they wear these orange jumpsuits, male and female, and uh, when they go to court, they are shackled sometimes and uh, when they're in the courtroom they're also shackled and it's a form of punishment of course in the UK I think prisoners wear their own clothes yeah. but in America you have to wear uniform yeah also it goes back also to uniforms I think the Germans were the first to bring in school uniforms that's why in American schools they wear their own clothes it's a pushback against uh, socialism on the one hand and yet when you get to prison they have to wear a uniform it's funny, isn't it? Or in schools, there's no Bible, okay? That was taken out back in the 60s. Madeleine O'Hare, the, the evil old witch, had a wicked death. They, they 
murdered her, tortured her, cut her up in fact, which I don't condone, but she had a terrible death, Madeleine O'Hare. And uh, they took the, the uh, they took prayer out of school, and the Bibles were taken out of school. And here we are, what, 40, 50 years later, 50 years later, the prisons are now full of people reading Bibles. <laughs> I mean, give the kids Bibles when they're at school, right? But, oh no, we can't do that, because that would infringe on their human rights, or that would infringe on the people's human rights. And these young people grow up, in America especially, but not just there, all over the world, and they go on to do terrible things, and then once they arrive in prison, a Bible is given to them. Ridiculous, I know. 12. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. I spoke to a chap this past week, a former Royal, Royal Air Force pilots or part of the RAF Air Force men mid 50s and uh, a very self-righteous as most British people are character a lot of foolish jesting I hate that foolish jesting I don't mind I don't mind a joke and I tell jokes but I don't like foolish jesting all the time and all this foolish talk coming out of his mouth you know about this and that and I said to him I said you need to humble yourself my friend what you've told me over the last 15 minutes doesn't tell me one good thing about you you're flippant, you're self-righteous, foolish, jesting. Uh, dropped the F-bomb a few times. Mm. Then he had to sort of watch his mouth around me like it really bothers me. I don't care what he says around me, but God is the one who's listening, not me. I'm just an ordinary guy. Don't don't pick your words, you know, don't be careful what you say around me. I don't care what you, if you say the F-word or not, but that's not really the issue. The issue is you are self-righteous. Because you're self-righteous, you're kicking against the righteousness of God to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here you got a picture of a king who's humbling himself. This guy's in a bad shape. And this ex-RAF man got very upset with me. He said, you're judging me. You're judging me. He said, yeah, I am judging you. In a righteous way, in a loving way, like the JW guy before him. And I gave him a text from John chapter 7. He said, I'm off to the pound shop. I said, well, I'll be here another 20 minutes. You want to talk to me? He said, no, I don't talk to you. <laughs> Went to the pound shop, got his stuff, and he scarped off home. But sometimes you meet these people. You know, they're just self-righteous devils. But in their minds, they think they're good. This is why you've got to spend time to cut these people down. But do it gently and tactfully. 13. And prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Psalm 107, please. That's a wonderful picture of a Jew who goes his whole life doing his own thing, knows of the Lord, but doesn't know him personally, like most of Christendom, gets sick, cries to the Lord, the Lord sees sees his situation, deals with him, and he gets saved. Right at the end of his life, it does happen, but it's pretty rare. Uh, Psalm 107, uh, Psalm 107, 14. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and break their bands in sunder, shadow of death. Again, now I got thinking about this a few days ago, and this shadow of death, I got thinking about the great fog, which is what Churchill used to talk about, the great fog, the depths of depression, the prince of darkness, angel of light, artificial, and it's also a counterfeit light. Let's open this up a bit more, and then we'll close and come back next week. Uh, go to Isaiah this time, please. Go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah this time, please. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 and uh, pick it up in verse 2 the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light on the light of the world let there be light they that dwell in the land 
of the shadow of death. Upon them hath the light shined. In reference to verse 1. 1, 2, 3 parts of Israel. Go to Jeremiah please. Jeremiah chapter... Jeremiah chapter... 13. Jeremiah 13... Uh, 16. Give glory to the Lord your God. Because he calls darkness. And before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And while you look for light. He turn it into the shadow of death. And make it gross darkness. Go to Matthew. Chapter 4. Whatever this shadow of death is. Whether it's literal or figurative. Uh, it's something that most people have probably experienced. We say uh, we feel very heavy today. We say we feel out of kilt. You know, we're not quite right, out of sorts. Uh, the great fog, depression, depressed, can't shake yourself, lethargic, that kind of a thing. There's a spiritual element to that. Uh, Spurgeon, another one, suffered with terrible depression. He could have been bipolar as well. Uh, Matthew 4, 14. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. We just read that, chapter 9, saying, The land of Zabulon and the land of Naphtalium, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, here we go, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Go to uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke chapter 1. And I've got verse uh, 70, 70, 79. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. One more. Go to John chapter 1. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works. And glorify your father which is in heaven. John chapter 1 uh, verse 5. The light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Can't understand it. Can't work it out. The devil knows just so much you can't really work out didn't really understand the prophets for the old testament the apostles for the new the lord jesus christ the eternal word of god and the bible the eternal word of god as well doesn't quite he can't quite work out why someone like myself a gentile is reading through a jewish book or why the lord would send his only begotten son to die for the sins of the world or how the atonement works out go back to psalm 107 and we'll close and uh that's why Darkness and light don't match. They don't. Uh, they, they can't complement one another. They don't have anything in, uni in union. That's a picture of the lost and the un the saved and the unsaved, the righteous and the unrighteous. And that's why uh, when you get saved, if you've got any sense, you won't uh, look to date, marry, or mix with unsaved people, uh, because of course, what do you have in common? Nothing whatsoever. Brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. And break their bands in sunder. Spiritual uh, chains. 
physical chains. Paul was bound physically, and some other time he's also mentioned this as in a, in a spiritual sense. It goes back to before you were saved, you were a slave to sin. You were bound to you were bound to sin, basically born in sin. We all are, uh, but you lived in sin perpetually. Once you're saved, that is obviously severed. Uh, so in a sense. Uh, you are in the shadow of death pre your salvation post your salvation not really or not 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 necessarily so uh, and if you are still in the shadow of death like on the on the brink of death in a, in a physical sense or death to what's going on all around you then you need to check yourself out examine yourself second uh, corinthians 13 broke break their bands in sunder so that's a picture there of a jew during the times of captivity, the first one, Pharaoh, second one, Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, when Jesus comes, the Jews are slaves to sin, living under occupation, which they completely overlooked when they were busy trying to pull the Lord Jesus Christ apart. And that's why you are a slave to sin if you're lost, a servant to sin if you're backslidden. Now, you can be free from this. There's no need to be, you know, a victim or a... A, uh, I don't know, a failure in that sense. You can break free from uh, this this uh, problem that affects all of us, but it'll be a battle, a real battle. God's fought the battle for us. He's already overcome it for us, amen. And he's already, you know, gone to hell and back literally for us. And uh, he's already atoned for all of our past, present and future sins. But you have to fight as a soldier. You join the army, they train you up. They give you the best weapons that you could possibly use. Like this past week, I saw a clip of Tony Bennett being interviewed, and he was in World War II, mm. and he said this. He said, uh, we all arrived in Germany, 1941, 1942, not Germany, in England, 1941, 42. Went to Germany, 1944, after D-Day, of course, and we're all terrified, he said, of fighting the enemy. And we didn't want to fight them, and vice versa. But the weapons that they gave us were so powerful. This is back in 1944, 45. I mean, now you've got nuclear weapons, you've got drones, these Hellfire missiles, so on and so forth. But in 44, 45, they had pretty powerful weapons then. And I, I thought it was quite touching the way he put this across, that we, meaning the Americans in his platoon, uh, didn't want to kill the Germans, and it was the same on their side. I wonder if that's true. Uh, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Uh, but he was fully equipped, fully armoured, fully prepared. Was trained in England, went over to Europe via... France, of course, D-Day landings, landing. march through Europe, pushed push the Germans back to Germany. The Russians also came down from the north, and of course the rest is history. But the point is, he had to fight. He didn't just say, I'm a soldier in the Lord, I'm going to put my feet up with the paper. He had to fight. He had to push forward. He had all the weaponry, as do we, Ephesians chapter 6, but he had to fight. He had to take a stand on the offensive, on the defensive. Both ways, you know, both parts of a soldier's character and conduct. Same is true of us as Christians. We have to fight. We can be on the defensive sometimes, but not all the time. At some stage, we have to go on the offensive. Push forward, like street work. But here in the context, push forward against the flesh, the world and the devil. That's tough. You say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to eat this or eat that, or feed the flesh here or feed the flesh there, or whatever it might be. I want to say no to that. And that's where we get into putting the flesh down and enjoying great freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll close it there and, uh, like I say, come back next week and attempt to finish uh, this particular psalm. And we pray the Lord will bless this 
Messes in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs>